you for tuning in to the latest message from Island Church. should always make note of the strategies that the Lord unveils to us. Everything he speaks to us is so wonderful and love the way he ties it all together. Um, you know, even with what I'm going to be talking about tonight, I think it can dovetail in even with what the Lord's been speaking, um, just because... It, it is all for the preparation of getting us ready to do his will, to go out and to reach people for his glory, for his name. Um, now, we have been going through Psalm 119, which is a very, very long psalm. And uh, tonight we are going to go just through a few verses of it, um, which is verses 25 through 32. If you want to turn there, Psalm 119. Now... <laughs> At the beginning of these verses, there is a strange little Hebrew word that says dalet, and I just want to explain that because we're kind of going to take this set of scriptures as a whole tonight. Um, so the whole of Psalm 119 is written as an acrostic, meaning that um, in a form of poetry, it goes through the entire Hebrew alphabet, so each set of eight verses is um, for one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And then every line of those verses uh, begins with that Hebrew letter. So it's what I think the Passion Translation called it a mathematical like genius would have written this. You know, it's, it's very difficult to do. Um, but that's kind of the, the section that we're on tonight is these eight verses are part of the acrostic that start with the fourth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is Dalet. That's why it says that at the top. Um, most of the words in these scriptures that are translated to start with that Dalet are way or ways. So almost all the verses, that's the word in it that is, has that Dalet. But there's two that are a little different, um, one of which is cling and one of which is melt. Now, the clinging and the melting are both in relation to our souls. And so that's where the Lord kind of focused me in to study this out with you guys. So uh, the two verses in this section that speak of the distress of the soul. Verse 25 says, my soul clings to the dust. Verse 28 says, my soul melts away for sorrow. So most of us know, we're well aware that our souls tend to be very vulnerable, uh, even agreeable to distress, to turmoil, to wavering feelings. Um, just think about how eagerly our thoughts and emotions and will even come into agreement with outward circumstances. You know, whatever's going on around us, our souls tend to react or respond to those things very easily. Something good happens. It's easy to be happy. You know, that, that's natural um, until it changes, until it becomes normal and boring. You know, we get bored of things if they go on for too long, apparently. Something bad happens. We're unhappy. We're distressed. We're angry until we're distracted or something good happens. And it's a constant cycle of up and down and up and down if our soul is going to be controlled by circumstances. That's what our lives are going to look like. That's the natural mode of operation of our souls. They're wishy-washy and unstable. 
So I want to take time this evening to talk about our souls because as believers, as followers of Jesus, our souls can be one of the biggest hindrances in our lives. But on the other side, they can be one of the biggest enhancements of our spiritual life if we understand them and know how to mind them. Okay, so verse 25 starts this way. My soul clings to the dust. Now, as the Passion puts it, Lord, I'm fading away. I'm discouraged and lying in the dust. Now, the word for soul in these cases, they include a person, a life, passions, desires. But we know, looking through the lens of the New Covenant, the New Testament, which is always how we read the Old, is that our spirit man is not groveling in the dirt. Our spirit man has been made new. It is desiring the things of God. It's desiring his ways. It is our soul, even our flesh at times, that can so easily cling to the dust. Okay, so that word for cling is also interesting because it is the same word as cleave, as in a man leaving his father and mother and cleaving to his wife. So it's stuck together like glue. It's serious. So we get a very clear, specific word picture here, a picture of a person who is cleaving, who is stuck like glue to the dust. So this person is unable to stand or function in that soulish realm. Where their soul is um, in regard, they're not functional. They're distressed. They're overwhelmed. They're discouraged, and they cannot remove themselves from the dust. So I see the dust as an illustration of, yes, feeling low and depressed, but it is also a state of carnality. Rolling around in the dust is what our flesh is made of, and it also can symbolize embracing that carnal realm. Okay, So something so terrible has happened or been done to this person or by this person that they have been rendered incapacitated in their soul by their soul's reaction to the situation. So this is a picture of being on the brink of giving up. Uh, This is where Elijah was in 1 Kings 19. So I'm going to read a few verses of this account in 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to start in verse 1 if you want to follow. So it says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So in other words, you're going to be dead just like you killed my prophets. That was a threat. Then he, Elijah, was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down, and he slept under a broom tree. So where do we find Elijah here? In the dust. He's discouraged. He's fearful. He's ready to give up because of a difficult circumstance a challenging circumstance. His soul is reacting to the circumstance. Difficult circumstances, often called trials in the word of God, are part of the human experience. They're unavoidable. They are not uncommon and they are not rare. They are things that happen in this fallen world 
And oftentimes these things can be hurtful, they can be harmful, they can be confusing, they can be difficult. These situations, these circumstances, they create a temptation for us to have a soulish reaction, for our souls to come into agreement with the circumstance, right? So the problem is not necessarily that we have thoughts or feelings in response to these negative situations, but it's where we allow these thoughts and these feelings to take us and sometimes even to keep us, okay? So thoughts will come, feelings will come, but we always have a choice in how we handle them. We always have a choice in who we cry out to in these situations. So the next part of this verse says, give me life according to your word or revive me by your word. That's the cry. That's the cry for help to the right person. So revive is the most common translation. It's a word that means bring to life, restore, heal, and keep alive. So the psalmist is asking for the way out of the distress of his soul. He knows that he needs to be revived. He needs to be restored. He needs to be healed from this state of being. And he knows that it has to be done by God and according to or through his word. That's the only way. So the only answer for our soul's distress is to invite God into the situation, allow his word to bring light and life to our souls. Even though Elijah was desperately discouraged in his soul, he had the sense to cry out to God. Now, he wasn't in the same place as the psalmist to ask God for the right thing because he asked God to die. (laughs) But at least he went to the right person, right? So he may not have asked the right thing, but he went to the right person. God can work with that. He will correct things that get off on the wrong track, right? So so God sent an angel to physically revive him and prepare Elijah to go hear his word, his truth. God gave Elijah the exit from the temptation to give up. So that's what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is talking about. We talk about this verse a lot. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, the exit, right? That you may be able to endure it. So now, even though the exit, that way of escape was provided for Elijah, he had to respond to it. He had to take it, right? It's just like I think Pastor Rusty has always taught, Ryan just used this illustration uh, recently about you can be in a burning building and there can be an exit sign for the way out, the exit, the escape. And you can be, you know, filling all around the building and and looking here and looking there and so determined that you're going to figure it out that you miss the very obvious exit and you don't escape. You know, he, God puts an exit there, but it is up to us to cooperate and go through the exit, right? So he had to allow God's word to come to him and to revive him. It's true for all of us. God is faithful. He's not a respecter of persons. He will always give us an escape from temptation when our soul is wanting to grovel, when our soul is wanting to give up. He always gives us a way of escape. we still have to make the choice to take a hold of his word and allow it to do a work in us. Now, after 40 days, Elijah had had some refreshment. He'd had some strengthening. God spoke to Elijah on Mount Horeb, right? And he instructed him. He corrected his wrong thinking and he encouraged him. This strengthening is what 
is also asked for in another verse about our soul here. So if you look down to verse 28, here's another description of our souls. It says, My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. This can also be translated, My soul weeps because of grief. Raise me up according to your word. Once again, there's a state of distress in the soul. This time the soul is described as melting away or weeping from grief or sorrow. It's another powerful word picture here, an illustration of how our, fill, our souls can fill in a hard circumstance. Now there's a lot of reasons that we can fill grief or sorrow, but the reaction that's described here, it's weeping or it's melting. So the Hebrew word literally means to drip. That's why there's some translations that say, you know, that paints this picture of dripping tears like weeping, and then some portray the dripping as the actual melting feeling, okay? So the passion says, my life's strength melts away. Now, if you want to turn over real quick to Joshua chapter 7, we're going to look at an instance where God's people had this feeling. So Joshua chapter 7 and I'm going to start in verse 5, says the men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men and pursued them from the gate as far as Shabarim and struck them down on the descent. So the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Now I see this as a description where there's such an overwhelming fear, such an overwhelming loss that there's no firmness, there's no strength left to stand. You know, sometimes you see it in cartoons portrayed as a person literally melting into a puddle. You know, there's no strength left, they're just done, they're just gone, they're in a puddle on the ground. That's all that's left to them. That's the same thing that's described here in Joshua. So once again, the psalmist, the psalmist is aware of what is needed. He cries out to God to strengthen him, to raise him up according to his word. He knows that God's help is going to come through his word. We see Joshua crying out to the Lord in the midst of the people's souls melting. If we go on to verse 6 here, it says, Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites? To destroy us? Would, would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan? O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it, will surround us, will cut us off, cut off our name from the earth. What are they going to do about your great name, Lord? You know, he is really taking it far here. His imagination has engaged, and he has imagined the worst, right? So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up. Consecrate the people 
and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord God of Israel. There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. I love that the Lord said to Joshua twice, get up, get up. It's so straightforward. (laughs) He asked Joshua why he is on his face. Why are the people melting for sorrow? Why are you down there? Get up. He very clearly then tells Joshua exactly why they're in this bad situation. It's because of sin. Take care of the sin problem and the people will be able to stand against the enemy. So there is a lack of strength to stand here just as there was in Elijah's situation. Both situations, people are on the ground groveling, melting in fear and discouragement. Their souls are not in a good place. Their souls are in a very bad place in both situations. Both caused distress to the soul. It even affected their physical bodies. Distress in the soul can do this to us. It can affect our physical bodies. So it's very important that we get revived, that we get strengthened by the word when our soul is off kilter. Now, I want us to see, though, that the cause of distress in these two situations was very different. In Elijah's case, he had just obeyed God, and he had watched God overcome and destroy all of the evil prophets of Baal. Queen Jezebel threatened Elijah, and Elijah bowed to the fear and he, of that threat, and he ran away, right? It wasn't his sin that caused Queen Jezebel's attack. It was his obedience. But his reaction was still to allow his soul to dominate and to lead him to a place of dejection, of depression, of clinging to the dust. On the other hand, we have the people of Israel failing in battle, running away from the enemy, But in their case, the cause of the failure that led to their souls melting melting was their own sin. They were attacked and beaten because they had disobeyed God and they had rebelled. They did it their way. Both of these negative circumstances produced a similar outcome in the people's souls. Okay, so it's not always that you've done something evil or sinful or wrong because your soul's in a bad place. Sometimes there's an attack because you're obedient, because you're doing the right thing. You know, so it's, it's not about necessarily the cause of how they got into this distress in their soul, but they both got there. So both produced a similar outcome in the souls. Both felt like giving up. Both were tempted to give up. But God's word in both situations is what brought the answers, the solution, the reviving, the strength to continue. He brought correction in both situations. It was just different. You know, he had to talk to Elijah differently than he had to talk to Joshua. But he had to bring the truth in both situations. Adjustments had to be made. God's word said, get up. God's word brought the truth they all needed to adjust their course and get into victory. So the thoughts had to line up with God's thoughts. The words had to line up with God's words. The feelings had to line up with God's feelings. And the wills had to line up with God's will repentance had to happen to get out of this soulless trap. That's what repentance is. Change the way you think to where it changes the way you act, changes your direction. Okay, that's what was happening here. People were needing to get to a state of repentance where their minds, their souls were turned in a different direction so that God could get them out of the trap, the temptation to be in soulish distress. So let's talk about some of the things that can happen when we don't look to God and we don't listen to his word when our souls are in a bad place. 
One of the things that can happen, we can look for other things to strengthen us and to revive us that are outside of his word and his way. When we do that, what do we end up with? We talk about it all the time in here. Counterfeits, right? Counterfeits. So Elijah and Joshua both had the opportunity to take the counsel of the world or of their own souls. They could have taken different counsel in the first place. Both of them had that opportunity. Now, even once they decided, we're going to take the counsel of the Lord, we're going to listen to what the Lord has to say, did they have to do it? No, they could have chosen not to do it. They could have chosen to follow their feelings rather than God's instructions. In both cases, the outcomes would have been disastrous. There are probably an infinite number of things like motivational speakers, life coaches, spiritual retreats, um, all these supposedly reviving and restoring techniques that are good for our bodies and our souls that are in this world. They're available in this world. Even religion will try to satisfy our souls. How? By letting our good deeds be seen. You're so good. You know, you do all the right things. Tick, tick, tick. You check all the little boxes. Good job. Feel good about yourself. Okay? That is meant to satisfy your soul, not your spirit. These counterfeits can temporarily make us feel better. And there's plenty of distractions to go along with them to take our mind off the problems. There's drink, there's drugs, there's entertainment, there's food, there's shopping. We could go on and on and on. There's any number of things to distract us. The problem with these is that they're temporary fixes and they don't get to the root of the problems. And they don't actually heal. They don't make whole. They don't revive. They don't strengthen. So they just make you feel like you're doing something. You know, worry is likened to sitting in a rocking chair. And you do a lot of motion. You move a lot, but you don't get anywhere, right? And that's the same thing as what these counterfeits do. They make you feel like you're doing something, but you don't get anywhere. They don't produce anything. They're just motion. They just make you feel good because, oh, I did something about it. So we have to be able to recognize when our soul's are low, when our souls are out of whack, we have to call out to God for help. We have to know that he's going to speak to us and give us his word to help us. And then we have to take hold of his word, follow it, obey it, do it. We have to repent. We have to change our way of thinking and our actions to follow God's instructions. Otherwise, what will dominate us? Our souls. Our souls will dominate us and will continue to wallow in the dirt and melt like a puddle. We'll never be strengthened or revived without his word, without yielding to it. That's what his word tells us. That's what Psalm 119 is all about. If y'all remember, everything is about the value, the importance of his word. So we know it's true, but it's not just about being strengthened and revived for our own sake. That is certainly a benefit. It's a good benefit. I want that benefit, but there is a bigger picture. So in the account of Elijah and Joshua, God had big plans, and he desired his people to be part of those plans. He desired to be in a relationship and a partnership with his people to accomplish his, his will. His plans were going to affect a lot of people around them. His plans were going to lay the groundwork for the next generations. If Elijah and Joshua had allowed their souls to continue to dominate and lead them, they both would have ended up dead or defeated, and unable to be a part of God's plans. You know, I always like to see that when I study the Word of God, is like 
well, this is what it tells us happened, but what if it didn't happen? Like, yeah. What if these people didn't do this? You know, they wouldn't even be in the Word of God. We wouldn't be studying their lives and, and learning about, you know, what we need to do to follow God. It would have changed the course of history, and he would have had to pick somebody else. You know, and how sad is it to imagine how many people are so consumed with the problems in their souls that they never get in partnership with God. They never reach the fulfillment of their destinies. You know, or even if they start on it, they get hindered, stopped, and plateau, and they never reach the full potential. And it's so often it's just because things haven't been dealt with in the soul, in the soulish realm. So now, like I said in the beginning, our souls can be a great enhancement to our lives. They can enhance our spiritual connection with God. That's what they're meant to do. Our feelings, our emotions, our thoughts, they are meant to be in alignment with God, to make our relationship with him more full and more fulfilling and more wonderful and more fun, more enjoyable. That's what they're there for. But we have to renew our minds. We have to align our emotions and our wills with his word or we're, it's never going to be used for that. It'll never enhance our relationships with God, with other people, if our, spirit, if our souls are dominating. Now, when our souls come into alignment with our spirits, our spirits are dominating, and they're leading us by God's very own spirit. That is what is fulfilling. That is what makes us healthy and whole. Now, there's some of these other verses in this little section here that give us some clarity and confirm ways that we can align our souls with our spirits. Like verse 26 says, when I told of my ways, you answered me, teach me your statutes. The passion translation says it this way. I've poured out my life before you and you've always been there for me. So now I ask, teach me more of your holy decrees. This is inviting the God who created us to come and work in us. He does not force it upon us. We do not have to tell him about the intimate details of our lives and let him into those areas, but he does desire for us to. He's there. He answers. He wants in. And as we invite him into our lives, our ways, we need him to teach us. He's the expert. He's the one who sees, who knows, who understands our inner workings better than we do. He knows us better than we know ourselves. So Elijah was open with God even when he had negative feelings. God met him there. God corrected him. God loved on him. And he directed him just because Elijah was open to him. See how that being open, when we open up our souls, when we say to the Lord, look, there's some ugly stuff going on in here and it's embarrassing, but I'm going to invite you in. You know, because we can trust God with that. And, and even in our ugliest moments, God desires to be with us. You know, and if we will be open to him like that, when we invite him into our mess, what is the saying? He'll make it our message, right? So verse 29, just one other little point here. says, put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. So this verse is about, staying away from false things, from things that are deceitful, even from self-deceit. Now, you could 
write a sermon series about this one subject here, you know, and I just asked the Lord, what is it you want me to get across on this subject? Because I know there's something here. Um, So he just kind of brought this out. He just said, anytime the pressure is on, all of the impurities in our soul rise to the surface and are seen, okay? Whenever there's refinement, pressure going on in our life, when there's pressurized situations that are difficult, that are trying, it, it is made to refine us. But what it does when there's heat put in, I think it's even in metal, all the impurities come to the top and they show, okay? And that can make us as people feel completely overwhelmed and very vulnerable. <laughs> uh, sometimes the reason we're clinging to the dust or melting into a petal is more about what we're seeing inside of ourselves in a trying situation than even the situation itself. So what we see can cause us to be fearful and even want to deceive ourselves so that we don't have to deal with it. I know in my own life, I have seen myself have sudden bursts or sudden rushes of emotions, as Pastor Rusty likes to say, of negative emotions, (laughs) because there's been a panic almost when those, you know, you feel, you see those impurities coming up and it puts a fear, a panic in you because there are people around us and even God, we don't want people or the Lord to see these impurities and think think less of us. So there's some methods that we tend to employ as humans. Often we deflect attention by blaming and lashing out at someone else. So we don't want people or God to notice the ugliness of pride, selfishness, bitterness, unforgiveness, immaturity, the list goes on, the ugliness of sin in us, so we use blame to get the attention off of ourselves and onto someone else. So we start picking apart the faults of others, looking for the splinter in their eye rather than dealing with the plank in our own eye. Ouch, right? I know. (laughs) That happens to me enough. I know. So another method that we tend to employ as humans is isolation. It's retreating into ourselves and trying to keep these ugly realities hidden. Um, blaming and hiding are only prolonging the process. <laughs> um, it's like having an infected wound and either pointing out somebody else's wound, like imagine that you have this big infected wound that everybody, you know, it's there, like it's hard to hide, but you just start pointing out, oh my gosh, look at their wound. And they have like this tiny little cut, you know, and you have like this gaping, infected, nasty thing. But that's something we do. You know, we point out other people's wounds. Or we try to put a little Band-Aid on it and cover it up and act like it's hidden, right? So both of these methods will temporarily give us time to not have to deal with the wound. But both will leave the wound untended and only getting worse. Allowing the Lord in, allowing him to see the wound, it gives him the opportunity to do what? He brings his healing honey. Because what does honey do? It heals wounds. It's amazing the way it works in the natural. And he brings that honey of his word and he pours it into our wounds. And that stuff starts cleaning. Starts cleaning out all that nasty stuff. Starts cleaning out. Starts getting it healed up. Starts dealing with it. It treats the wound to bring wholeness to our souls. And it positions us to be in a relationship and a partnership with God 
so that he can use us and fulfill our destinies just like he was prophesying through Ryan earlier. So in closing, verse 31, I cling to your testimonies, O Lord, let me not be put to shame. Once again, we see the same word of cleaving, right? Sticking to light glue. But this time, it's to a good thing. We're not clinging to the dirt now. We're clinging to the testimonies, to the words of the Lord. When we cling and cleave to his word, we will not be put to shame. People may try to shame us or humiliate us because we follow his word, but really that's false shame. He will protect us. He will fight for us. He will shield us from any true shame when we are cleaving to his word. Shame is only true when we are not doing things his way. When we are doing things his way, there is no real shame that can come upon us. That's what his word says. It's a promise. We have nothing to be ashamed of when we stay hidden in him. Christ is the word, and our lives are hidden in him. We cling to him as a wife clinging to her husband, cleaving, fit together, stuck together like like glue, not coming apart. That's the kind of clinging we want to remain in forever, not to the dust. So when we come to places where our souls are trying to cling to the dust or melting, we are not ignorant of what to do because the word has very clearly set it forth. So we can no longer claim ignorance, right? We have to call out to the Lord. We have to look for his word to revive and strengthen us. We have to open ourselves up to him, even in the ugliness and the hard things, And we have to allow him to come in and deal and heal those issues in our souls. We are not going to be a people who allow our souls to hinder us from running our race and keeping us from God's best for us. And I just declare that over us as a body is we are not going to be people who allow our souls to get in the way of what God is doing in our lives. Because he has he's put his whole word forth for us to not have to do that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. There are times when we're going to be crying out like Elijah, like, I wish I could just die. This is too hard. I can't do this. And he'll meet you there. You don't have to be afraid of that. He'll meet you there. Now he's going to correct you and he's going to say, wait a second. It's not time for you to die. I have important things for you to do. I need you to come and meet with me. I need to heal you. I need to deal with this stuff in your soul. You know, when there's, there's times when we're trying to run away. But we have, to, we have to allow him. We have to invite him. We have to let him in to our souls. And, and like I said, it's, the Lord's trying to get us ready for some things. He's trying to prepare us. But we need to have health, health in our souls. Um, we are not going to be very appealing even to people if we're, well, we're not going to represent him well, if our souls are a big mess. Um, People need to see that God's people, we may go through things, but he lifts us up. He strengthens us. He says, get up. Don't stay down there in the dirt. Don't stay melted down there. You get up. So, uh, you know, we need to encourage each other with it. We need to let the Lord encourage us with it. Um, But I will leave it at that for tonight, so. Father God, we just thank you and praise you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us about the state of our souls. 
thank you, Lord, that, you know, if there's anything you pointed out in us, that anything you would shed light on tonight that we need to, <sighs> we need to be honest with you about. If there's anything that we're, you know, maybe in self-denial or self-deceit about, Lord, I, I just thank you and praise you that we're, we're not going to run anymore. We're not going to hide anymore. We're going to come to you the God that we can trust, the one who created us, the one who loves us, the one who meets us in our worst, ugliest places. And we're going to allow you, open ourselves up to you to come and help us, to come and work on our souls, to come and heal us and make us whole from the inside out, Lord. We just thank you and praise you, Lord, that you are so good. So good to help us in that way. So good to surround us by a body who is here to help us, Lord, who's here to support us, here to love on us and, and help us to allow you to work. You know, sometimes we even need help just to be strengthened to allow you to work in us, Lord. So I just thank you for a body that is able to, to come alongside and be a support, and be a shoulder to lean on, and as the Lord is working on us, that we have that support. So we just thank you and praise you, Lord, that we do not let this stuff go and and just forget about it, that we take hold of your word, and we meditate on it. We trust you. We look to you. You're, You're the author and the finisher of our faith, Jesus. So we're going to keep running our race. We're going to finish strong. We thank you and praise you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.